we just sang, that your blood uh, never fails. And God, uh, we may even sing that and not know exactly uh, what we're saying. But God, how I would understand that is that what that means is that your blood never fails is that there is nothing I can do. There's nothing any one of us could do that would ever separate us uh, from your love. Your blood covers everything. It covers everything about us. And, and your blood, your death is what makes us right with the Father. When he looks down, he's able to accept us and, and bring us into the family. And Lord Jesus, it's because of that that we uh, we want to give our lives to you. We feel that's the call that you gave us. Uh, everything we could ever want. And all we can do in return is, is give our lives back. So, Lord Jesus, that's uh, to some degree or another, that's why we're here. And that is our desire. God, I pray that I pray that tonight you would help us more clearly see what that means uh, from your word, that we would know what does it mean to, to give our lives back to you. So, Jesus, uh, trust you to do that for us. I pray in your name. Amen. And be seated. Last week, everybody was trying to sit in the, the edges. Now you're all in the middle. You guys are cracking me up. It's part of the fun out here. We get the different, different weather every time. What we're going to do tonight, if you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. Uh, one of my favorite parables. What we're doing over these weeks while we're out here on the ranch is we're just talking about what, what is some of the, the foundation of what we really believe God wants this church built on. What are the foundational principles and truths? And one of them uh, that we really want to focus on comes out of Luke chapter 19. It's a parable Jesus tells. And uh, what I'm going to do tonight is I'm just going to take some time and walk us through this parable. I'm going to give you some time towards the end of this message just to have some time to reflect, to reflect on your own. And, and, and hopefully through going through this parable to be set up to really do some business uh, with God. But we're going to go through this parable and, uh, and just dig into it. Let me uh, start. I want to read you a quote. Um, this quote I'm going to read you is uh, from a guy named Phil Edwards. And Phil Edwards is not a theologian. He's not an author. He's not a poet. He's a surfer. Okay? He's a surfer. And here's a quote that he wrote. There is a need in all of us for controlled danger. That is, there is a need for activity that puts us on the edge of life. There are uncounted millions of people right now who are going through life without any sort of real, vibrant kick. And then here's this description. I call them the legions of the unjazzed. The legions of the unjazzed. And what I want to talk about tonight and, and show you what I think Jesus is saying is that, that if we're honest and we look around at our own lives and lives of many others, that might be a good description. We might live among the legions of the unjazzed. And when Jesus left this earth, he left some very specific instructions for his followers that are completely contrary to that. And that's what this parable uh, is about. Luke 19, verse 11. This is, this is about a week before Jesus dies, okay? So a little, little context. About a week before Jesus dies, he's getting towards the end, and he's instructing them how, how they're going to carry on their lives. Here's what he says, chapter 19, verse 11. As they heard these things, we'll come back to that later and say, what are these things? Because it's in context that he tells this parable, and it's really important. So don't, don't look up ahead in your Bible. Don't look back. Uh, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. And here's the reason why. Because he was near to Jerusalem. The end was coming. Second reason why. 
told him because he was near to Jerusalem, the end is near, and because they supposed the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Uh, you may be familiar with this aspect, but, but Jesus knows he's about to die. He knows what that's going to mean. He knows that what they think that's going to mean is not that he's going to die, that when they go to Jerusalem, he's going to reign. He's going to take over, throw out the Romans, uh, exert his kingship. So he knows two things. He knows I'm about to die and leave him. They think that, that the rule on earth is just about to happen. He said, therefore, so he tells him this story, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Okay, here's a, a little more context. This, this, is, this was happening right in the time of Jesus. Herod the Great, before anybody could become king, and Herod the Great was king, his sons were going to have to become king. They had to send them to Rome. They had to go to Rome first, and they had to get uh, approved of, basically, by the Roman Empire, and then they would come back. So they were already king, technically, but they had to go to a far-off land, go through what they were going to go through there, then come back and actually reign. So this was normal practice. And Jesus is saying, let me tell you a story. And, and you're going to see clear and quick. This is a story about himself, knowing his end is about to come. He's saying the king is going to leave. And here's what the king does before he leaves. A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. Ten minas wasn't a huge amount of money. It was about three months' wages uh, on average, but it was a, a chunk of money. He calls ten of his servants, it says, so, so followers of the king. He gives them all this sum of money, and then he gives them a specific purpose. And you can't miss this purpose. Engage in business until I come. Jesus knows he's the king. And as the king, he's about to leave. He's about 70 days, roughly, or it could be less, from, from, from being gone for an extended period of time. He knows when he goes, he's going to leave behind something with his servants, his followers, and what he wants them to do is get down to business. When Jesus, The whole question this parable answers is this. Is in the in the time that Jesus is absent from the time of his ascension till the time of his return, what does he want his followers to do? This is the clearest place probably that Jesus answers that and says, "Look, you don't understand it, but I'm going to be gone, and while I'm gone, I want you to get down to business. I want you to do business." So he answers the question, "What are you supposed to do while I'm gone?" He, you could word it this way: How do you not waste? your life? How do you make your life count when you live in a kingdom where it's already, but not yet? Already. There's already a king who's been designated, a king who's been chosen, a king who who you've identified, just like the disciples. That's my king. Yet his reign and his rule over this earth is not complete yet. He rules and reigns in the heavenlies, but he's letting this earth Before the consummation, he's letting it unfold, and he's going to bring consummation. What do you do? How do you not waste your life? It is is hard for me, and I would assume hard for you, it's hard to talk about this topic without getting pretty intense and pretty urgent. Because I imagine when Jesus is sharing us, and you'll see when we get into the parable, this is some heavy-duty stuff. Jesus, he does not mess around with them. And the question, I I hope you'll have rattling around in your head tonight, and I hope it will rattle all week and and all your life, is are you doing business 
Are you doing business with what he left you? Well, in order to answer that, the question we got to answer is, well, what did he leave us? What, he didn't leave the meanest. He's going to tell this story, and we're going to look at the story, and there's four responses to what he did. And it's going to be this perfect opportunity to all look at ourselves and say, which, which of these responses do, do I most align with in what I'm doing with what he left? But before we do that, what did he leave us? What did he leave us? I think there's a number of things he, he left us, but if I were, I, I've tried to think about it, I always say, okay, Jesus, what is it that, that you're trying to say here? When you go, you're leaving something behind. What is it? I, I boiled it down to three things, and you'll have to see what you'd fill into these, but, but these are the three I'd leave. One is, what did he leave us? He left us truth. He left us truth, the truth about himself, the truth about life, the truth about how things function, the truth about how things will end. And I think his question would be, I left you this truth. Are you doing business with my truth? Are you doing business with it? And we'll see a little more what he means in a second. So he left his truth. He also left us, he left us resources. He left us money. He left us uh, gifts and abilities that we have. He left us all the things that, that we have in this life as stewards. And his question would be, are you doing business with what I left you? I left you to engage in business with this. Third thing that I think, I, I don't know how else to phrase the one, that he just left us energy. He left us life. He left us the ability to, to put ourselves into something. I don't know how to, to describe that one any other way other than just say he, he put life and energy in us that, that is limited. Is limited, and we all make decisions. Where is the thrust of my energy and my life going to go? So the question, the question we're going to wrestle with is, are you doing business with what he left you? He left you truth. He left you resources. He left you energy. Are you doing business? Four responses. Let's look at them. Four responses. Uh, four, I'd put it this way. They're, they're, he kind of paints out four options of here's how one group responded. Here's somebody else responds. Here's somebody else. Here's somebody else trying what Jesus always does. I think he's always saying, do you see yourself in this? Are you, do you see yourself? I want you for these guys. I want you to look back later. Remember this story and say, am I, am I falling into one of these options? Each option. And this is the key part too to the parable. Each option for the, 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 that I can choose to, to align with has a specific response from King Jesus. He responds. He says, you got a choice. I'm leaving you all with truth, resources, and energy. You're going to get to make a choice. Are you going to do business with that? And based on your choice, I have a different level of response. And sometimes I don't think we like to think this way about Jesus. Isn't it all just kind of equal? You know, as long as I'm in, are we? Are, are we? And Jesus, you're going to see, he has a distinctly different response based on the option chosen by those he left behind. So let's look at him one at a time. Uh, let's look at the first one that um, this is this is the 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 heaviest one and and because we're we're new and because we're meeting out in the middle of the wilderness uh kind of hidden away um, most of you who are here uh would call yourself followers of Jesus if not all of you because if we're just getting started we're out here we're not even nobody even kind of knows we're here we're hidden away so so most if not all here are, are are followers of Jesus you'd say yes i believe Jesus first talks about a group that's not and, and here's what he says, 1914. 
And this, this option, this is an option, is rebelliousness. The king's gone. It says, but his citizens, so these aren't his servants, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. It's exactly what happened to Archelaus. They, they, they sent a whole group to go to Rome and say, we don't want this man to rule over us. And Jesus says, look, there's going to be a whole segment. This is my kingdom, and I'm going to come back and rule it. There's going to be a whole segment who don't want me to be king, and they're going to put all their energy and time into saying, don't let this man rule over us. And here's what Jesus says his response is. You got to jump down in the, the parable to verse 27. And this is where this just this stuff is heavy. It's intense. Verse 27. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. That's that's as heavy as it gets. Jesus saying, look, there is an option. There's an option to decide you don't want me to be your king. And if you decide you don't want me to be your king, my response is destruction. And what I think he'd say to all the other, the servants of the kingdom, he's saying, look, citizens are going to choose this. They're going to choose. They don't want me as their king. They're going to choose destruction. I think what he would say, if you put all this together, he'd say, so therefore you better use what I'm leaving behind for you to do as much as you can to not let that happen because they're going to go to the slaughter. And and we know from other scriptures, Jesus saying, that's not what I want. That's not what we want. And he's saying, look, That's where some of this is going. So if you're my servant and I left you behind with some of my resources, it's to help get the citizenry to not rebel against me as king. You want to know what you should give your life to? That's your answer right there. I can take a whole lot of different forms. But where I should do business with what he's given me, where I should do trade, where I should exercise the gifts that he's left behind is to help the citizens of this earth, not be on the road to destruction. Help them see he's a king worth following. He's a king worth giving everything to. So that's option one, response one. Let's go to option two, response two. Luke nineteen fifteen continues the story. When he returned, having received the kingdom, and if you understand this, uh, the big word is eschatologically, how the end time thing all fits together. Here's, there's so much I don't know. I mean, people ask, are you premillennial, millennial? I tell everybody I'm panmillennial. It all pans out in the end, okay? <laughs> be ready. Jesus wins. Be ready, okay? And, and it all pans out, okay? What I know, what I think I know for sure based on the scriptures, he is coming back. So he's in, in heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. And, and it talks about in several places in the Scripture. It talks about what's happening up there is he's being, it, it's this royal ceremony, really. He's been, been given the keys and, and everything to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to come on the white horse, not in a, a manger. He's going to come and he's going to establish his, his kingdom. So in the parable, he's saying he's going away to receive his kingdom. That he's at the right hand of the Father. He's receiving the kingdom. Uh, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants. So he calls together his servants. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're one of these. You're a servant. You're a follower of Jesus. He calls them all together. This is different. This is a different 
judgment than the one we just read about. You have the, the judgment that, that is, are you a believer in Jesus Christ or not? And that's, that's the judgment that separates the, the goats and the sheep he talks about. And one leads to destruction, one leads to life. Then with those who are servants, followers of Jesus, and it's all over the Bible. I don't have time to, to unpack it all tonight. But there's, there's the, the, the Bema seat judgment is what it's called. What did you do with what I gave you? It's the simplest way to understand it is there will be a judgment. I believe this all in my heart that I stand before God and I answer, what did I do with what you gave me? You gave me a certain amount of truth, understanding of truth. You gave me a certain amount of resources. You gave me a certain amount of energy. What did I do with what you gave me? He calls all his servants, all 10, but he's only going to give us three of the responses. He ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him. And here's what he wants to know. Okay, listen, listen, listen carefully to how he words this. That he might know what they had gained by doing business. There's, I don't have another way to understand this than that Jesus cares very deeply. Not only what did I do with what he gave me, did I, I'll use the financial word, did I leverage what he gave me? He's not looking for me to just use it. He's looking for me to make as much gain as possible. That he might know what they had gained by doing business. So he expects that when I do business with the truth, when I do business with my resources, when I do business with my energy, there will be gain. There will be gain. I think that's what, and we've talked about this in some of these previous weeks, that's what fruitfulness is all about. He expects to see fruit. He expects to see a gain. He expects to see a return. And you're going to see he cares even the level of return. He's not saying, I gave you something, just make sure you do a little something with it. He's saying, whatever I gave you, you've got to try to maximize it. Look at the, the response. The first one came before him. This is verse 16. And the first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. So I took your one. And while you were gone, I took that one. He doesn't tell us how. I think he purposely leaves this, this vague for us. He said, I'm assuming he didn't do anything illegal. That's all I'm assuming. Outside of that, I don't know what he did. But he took one and he turned it into ten. He found a way, and Jesus, I think, purposely leaves this a little bit of a mystery. I'm not going to tell you how, but he found a way to take that one that I left and turn it into ten. That's an incredible return. That's leveraging it. That's taking, that, that's taking truth, the truth of who Jesus is. That's taking the truth of who Jesus is and doing business with it in such a way that it so would change your heart that what comes out of you is, 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 is exponentially unrelated to what's natural in you. That the level of fruit, the level of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness would be disproportionate. What he left behind was small. What, what, what was returned was huge. He's saying, are you doing business with my truth in such a way that it produces extraordinary fruit? Are you doing business with my resources? Are you taking the resources I gave you, the money, the time, the, the, the gifts that you have? Are you using those in such a way? You're finding the way. You're, you're, you're looking for that. You're using them in such a way that the return, the gain, is exponential. It's not just that you're doing something. He's saying that you're, you're, you're connecting. Well, I, 
I can't go there yet. That jumps ahead. Um, he just wants gain. Let me stop. <clears throat> Response, verse 17. Actually, let me say this before I move on. Um, inherent in this, and some of you guys are, and, and women and, and people are investor types, okay? And you know this. You know, for this kind, inherent in this kind of a gain is substantial risk. You don't get this kind of gain without substantial risk. So whatever it is this guy did, I feel like one thing we can know for sure is there was substantial risk involved. Helen Keller has a great quote. She says, life is either a daring adventure or it's nothing at all. There's risk. There's huge risk involved. And again, you think about this. Okay, I'm doing business with the truth. Am I taking risk in how far I go to, to obey the truth, to absorb the truth? Am I taking risk in how I use my, my money and my gifts? I mean, is, there, is there a high level of risk involved with, with my life, my energy, where I, where I spend myself, use myself? Because look at how Jesus responds. Because I, I know a lot of you here, and I know you enough to know the response this guy gets, this is the response we want. This is the response we're dying for. Look, look at the answer, verse 17. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. Now think about this for a second. You handled three months' wages really well, so I'm going to give you ten cities. I mean, that's crazy to jump from this to this. But Jesus is saying, look, I just want to see. I'm not going to give you a whole lot, but what I am going to give you, I want to see how faithful are you with it. And the degree to with which you're faithful, I'm going to blow you away with what I give you in return. And the king, when he comes back, and, and this is the part I don't, I don't think we understand enough as Christians. When the king, King Jesus, comes back, it's not so we just all live in heaven and float around together. He's coming to recreate. It's a new heaven and a new earth. It's, it's this earth minus Satan and all the evil that he brings. It's a recreation. It's like our bodies, our physical bodies, are, we're told, are recreated. They're incorruptible, and, and they're, they're all these things. It's the same with the earth. There's going to be an earth. There's going to be people. There's going to be cities. There's going to be places to live. And he's saying, look, everything you do here dictates what happens there. Your standard of, uh, I remember one professor uh, uh, put it this way. He was talking in terms of money. He said, your standard of giving on earth will determine your standard of living in the new earth. That, there, that it's not all equal. That he's saying there's different responsibilities. There's, I'm going to, you're going to continue to function. You're going to live lives and you're, and you're going to populate this place. And I'm looking the, the only way I can know who to give more responsibility to is what did they do with what I gave them here? Look at his next one because I think it makes it even clearer. Let me say one more thing about what he says, though. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Our danger is that, that I think so easily we turn Christianity into a noun and it's supposed to be a verb. It's supposed to be an action verb. We somehow think he's going to stand before us and say, well said, good and faithful servant. Well thought out, good and faithful. He says, well done. Well 
done? What did you do with what I gave you? Look at the next one, and you'll see that there's a different response, even though there's good things. Uh, Verse 18, the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. That's a terrific return. That's a great return, right? If there was great risk involved in the first one, there's at least some risk involved in this kind of a return to, to multiply it this many times, right? There's some risk involved. He, he, he took the truth. He took the, 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 the resources. He took the energy, the life, and he did something with it. In fact, he, he, he multiplied it. Here's the response. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. It's very interesting to see Jesus' response. He doesn't say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't fully know why. He, he, he certainly is commending him. He gives him the five cities. So there is reward to this. They're, 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 it matters what this guy did. But it's not the same response that Jesus had before. Something we've got to think about. I don't think how he interacts with me and how he interacts with you and every single one of us is going to be identical. It's a relationship that doesn't change when, when I die and I stand before him. It's still me. He's going to talk to me about me and how I live my life and what I did with what he gave me. So there's commendation here, but it's different. It's different than it was with the guy who turned it into 10. Option four, verse 20. Remember, these are only four options he gives. So, so the one is just complete rebelliousness. The one is... Uh, fruitfulness, leveraging, I'm going to use everything I got to, to maximize the game. The other is what I would call real faithfulness. There's, there's faithfulness and there's follow-through. Then here's the other option. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina. Here's what you gave me. Here's your truth. Here's your resources. Here's the energy you gave me. I kept it laid away in a handkerchief. Inherent in this option, no risk. I was unwilling to take a risk with what you left behind. I preserved it. I protected it. I held on to it. I won't give it back to you. This, this is the, my way of understanding this is, Jesus, I believed in you, so the truth. Did I do business with your truth? I didn't really do business with it. I didn't let it really work its way into me and change me. But I believed it. I defended it. I, I never, dis, I never uh, 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 said I was against it. I didn't do business with it. The resources you gave me, I didn't just waste them and throw them away. I, 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 I tried to be smart and do smart things with them, and, and I wasn't reckless and crazy and rebellious with it. I didn't do business with it for your kingdom, but, but I wasn't a total fool. Verse 24. We're going to skip down to 24 because we're going to come back to the middle part later. 24, here's Jesus' response. And he said to those who stood by, take that mina from him. This is one of the servants. Take that mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, that's not fair. He has ten minas. Jesus says, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus is saying, look, let's just put some common sense to this. If I give some money to three different investors, and one of the investors is making all kinds of profit, and another one's done nothing, he just held on to my money, I'm going to pull it out of that account. I'm going to give it to the one who's making all the money. 
This is not rocket science here for Jesus. Jesus is saying, look, the stakes are too high. And that's where I think you got to tie this in with the beginning. The stakes are too high. There's people on the road to destruction. And if you're going to take what I gave you and not do anything with it, then I want to give it to somebody who's going to do something with it, somebody who's going to leverage that for gains in the kingdom. So Jesus takes it away. Uh, this, this guy uh, where it says uh, uh, back in, in verse 20, laid it away in a handkerchief. Uh, it, it's really, uh, it's why you've got a napkin. If you're wondering why you have a napkin, okay? It's not for hay fever to blow your nose. We're going to do a little something with it here in a second. But it's basically saying you took your napkin, if you just put this in the colloquial terms of the day, you took your napkin, you took what your 10 minas, you put them in there, you folded your napkin up nice, and you tucked it away somewhere. We're going to talk in, in a little bit about why. Why did he do that? Because if you don't get to the why and you just say, yeah, I don't want to be like that. I want to go do it different. Then you, you miss everything. We've got to understand why. Why would you bury it and why would you leverage it? What is it that, that changes us? But before we can go there, we've got to face ourselves and say, Are you, what's, what's in your napkin? What's in it? What are you wrapping up? Of, of God's truth, saying, I, 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 I'm not really willing to engage at that level. It's too painful if I go fully into to, to the obedience I know God wants. What are you doing with his resources? What are, you, what's buried, what are you wrapping up for safekeeping in your napkin? To risk nothing, here's, here's how I would summarize this passage. To risk nothing is to risk everything. To risk nothing is to risk everything. This guy risked nothing. He risked everything. He lost it all. Jesus' math is, look, you take nothing from something. I gave you something and nothing from it equals nothing. I will take that. You're not sent to destruction like the the guy who didn't believe. But you're not going to have the responsibility. You're not going to have the reward is what. He clearly seems to be saying. So here's what I want to do. I'm just going to take a uh, break, like five minutes, maybe ten minutes. Hopefully you've all got a napkin. If you don't, there's some more scattered around. But I just want to give you some time alone. You may want to sit there on your itchy bale. You may want to walk out in the field, go sit in the tree. There's only one porta potty, so uh, don't flood that. Uh, but I just want to give you a few minutes. And if you got a pen, you may want to take that with you. And on the napkin, to just think about, we're right on the napkin. What am I wrapping up? What am I holding on to? What am I scared of? What 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 is not being? And again, this is this this is very different from just saying. Are you going to church? Are you reading your Bible? Are you giving some money? This is saying, are you leveraging what he gave you? Are you leveraging it? Or is it wrapped up to some degree? And and I just want to give you a couple minutes to just think about that. And again, you can stay right here if you want, but we got space. So if you want to roam around, walk, think, but just spend a little time. I'll, uh, in like five minutes, I'll try to get us back together because the next part is critical. 
you have to see from this why. What, what is it that dictates the behavior, if this is behavior? But first we've got to look at our behavior and say, where do we line up with this? Uh, what's in our napkin? So let's just take a, a few minutes and, and uh, spend some time doing that. I'm going to jump in and interrupt you. Uh, I hope I hope you'll continue on with this um, during the week or or whenever. Um, let's finish this parable. To paraphrase uh, somebody from the blog this week, all this talk about doing might make you a little bit itchy. Of man, I thought we were human beings, not human doings. But he's talking about, well done. What did you do with what I gave you? Where's the gain? All this doing. And here's what's critical to this story. And this is what's critical to the Christian life being lived in a way that is not going to suck the life out of you. Is that the being precedes the doing. And we're going to see that in this passage. It's the being. It's a state of being. It's a state of believing. It's a state of thinking and understanding that dictates the actions. Okay? Let me show you. Verse 21. This is the fourth, ser- the third servant, the one who did nothing, the one who buried it. He's going to tell us why. If you're somebody who's not leveraging what God's given you, then my guess, the clue, I think, is going to be in this, these verses of why maybe not. Because that's what you've got to figure out. It's not just, all right, you're right. I've got to go. I've got to go start doing more. I've got to leverage it. Man, you do that, that'll kill you. You've got to go deeper. You've got to dig in. If, you, if your answer is, yeah, I've got stuff wrapped up in the napkin, don't just go try to unwrap it. Dig in and try to understand why, what's going on. Here's what was going on for him, verse 21. Here's his answer. For I was afraid of you. I was paralyzed by my fear. Why? Because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, reap what you did not sow. He said to him, uh, that's Jesus. Let me stop there. This man has a belief about the master that's totally out of whack. That's not true. We know it's not true even just from the story. He gave them this. He doesn't reap where he doesn't sow. He gave them. He was generous in what he gave. He didn't even have to give it. So this guy's bought a lie. His belief about the king, about the master, is wrong. And his wrong belief caused fear in him. He's fearful. But if I don't do this, you're going to condemn me. If I don't uh, live up to it, you're, you're a harsh guy. Instead of saying, that's not the truth about who you are. Jesus then says, well, then I'll just use your own words against you. Your own belief against you is what's going to condemn you. Look at how Jesus says, I'll condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew I was severe. So let's, let's say you're right. You think I'm severe, taking what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Then why didn't you at least put my money in the bank? And at my coming, it might have collected interest. You could have at least put it somewhere to use if you really believed that. Your belief about me is what's causing your behavior to be off. What is the belief about Jesus that's critical? What is the belief that will change a servant? Remember at the beginning of the story, he said, uh, while he was saying these things, or these things were happening, okay, what things? Let's move up in the, the chapter. 
It's the story of Zacchaeus, Luke chapter 19, verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, here's the deal. Zacchaeus is a picture of somebody who takes what they have and leverages it, but where also we see why. Here's why. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half my goods I give to the poor. He leverages what he has. He uses it. Why? Because God, Jesus, has shown his grace to this man. This man, Zacchaeus, is blown away by the grace of Jesus. And because he is accepted by Jesus, he uses it. He doesn't use what he has in order to get accepted by Jesus. And this is the crux. This is the crux of the whole thing. If your stewardship, your leveraging of your life is in order to gain acceptance from the king, it will eat your lunch. It will burden you. It will tire you. It will suck the life out of you. Because how much are you going to have to do to get accepted by the king? How are you ever going to live up to it? Is 10 enough? Do I need to do 20? Do I need to do 30? When you're in the Zacchaeus mode, you're blown away by the grace that's been shown to you because you're accepted. You can't wait to give it away. You can't wait to do something with it. It's two entirely different orientations. And if you want to become somebody who's a 10 mina person, then it will only come when your heart is blown away by the grace that he's shown you. You have to be in that Zacchaeus uh, place. And Jesus, he's, you, you know this, he's the ultimate model. He's the, 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 the living out of everything we're talking about. He who is rich, he who had everything became poor. In Corinthians, this is why. So that we might become rich. He became poor. He took his riches. He leveraged them. He took everything that he had, leveraged it on the cross so that we might become rich. Why? So that we could have his truth. We could have his, his resources, have life and energy for ourselves. No. He became poor so we might become rich so that we in turn might use those riches to give back to him because of his acceptance of us. Because he's accepted us through the cross, we give it back. I'm going to end this by um, hopefully being a little bit uh, practical because this is all in the context. The reason I'm, I'm, I'm talking about this tonight, this is in the context of this is foundational to the kind of church that we're trying to establish, what we're talking about. This just isn't a message that that gets me fired up or something we can talk about. This this idea is foundational to what we're calling red canvas right now, to what this is all about. And I want to try to, to, to make this a little bit practical for you. Then afterwards, we're going to get really practical and eat, and, and there's barbecue and all. But the purpose of that, I, mean, I hope you stay and, and hang out and eat, but I hope we can stay, eat, and keep talking about this stuff. Well, what does that mean for you? Are you leveraging it? What, what, what would that look like in the context of a, of a church? Because a church, here's the idea of a church. A, ch- a church is the simplest way for me to understand church. It's just a group of people doing this. And it's easier to do this with a group who's like-minded than it is to do it on your own or do it in a group where people don't really want it. So fundamentally, 
What we're trying to do and start a church is say from the ground up, this is the, the, the DNA of what we're trying to do. The little statements are on your card. We care more about risking our resources for kingdom causes than protecting them from potential loss. It's not just some statement we grabbed out of the air that flows out of this, this idea. So if I were explaining to somebody, I'd say red canvas, what we're calling red canvas right now, exists for the purpose, the fundamental purpose of we want to help as many people as possible not experience eternal destruction. We are not, and this may continue to thin the crowd, okay, as I say some of these things. But if what you're interested in, why you're checking this out, why you're here, is if you're interested in in being part of a, a, a another church that we can just add to the, the group of churches and sisters, another nice option uh, for, for, for those of us who live around here and in a, a place that is, is good and, and we're doing good things and faithful, this is not the place for you. That is not what we're interested in doing. And you'll be frustrated. You'll be, you'll, you, 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 what, what we're interested in doing is saying his big mission out here is that, that there's a lot of people who don't want him to be king. And he's left us here to try to do anything we can to help them come into the kingship of Jesus. And we, when I say we, I'm talking about those of us who are leading this and who are establishing this. We want to leverage our lives, our gifts, our abilities, the truth. We want to leverage that for maximum kingdom impact. We're not just trying to establish a little church and sisters. This is an outpost for us where we want to leverage our gifts, but we want to leverage these not just to build a church. We want to be part of a movement that God's using around the world. We think God has big things in store and in mind. If we're just doing a nice church and sisters, we don't need all of us here. We don't need uh, a staff. We don't need all the things. It's because we believe God has something far different. We think he wants us to partner with hundreds of churches around the world, around the nation, to plant churches, to be using all of our gifts and leveraging them in different ministries and different causes. And so it's, it's one, there, there's a selfish side to this. We're saying as leaders, we want to establish a place that we feel like leverages our gifts. And if it ended there, that would be pretty self-centered and, and probably would wither away and die. But we want to do that, and we want to invite in any other servants who, who want to leverage whatever it is that God's putting in them for the same cause. We're not interested in just hanging out. We're not interested in doing just typical stuff. We feel like we're on a mission. We're doing things that are not typical. We, we a lot of you know, because you've been around, we're, we're, we're real involved in this coffee project, the Kaboom Coffee Project. We put a lot of time and energy and resources into that, not just because that's some fun idea, because we are looking for ways that God can fuel these dreams. We, we're dreaming big. And, and we're asking God, we're asking God to blow us away. God, bring the resources in through, through something like coffee. God, to, to, to allow us to do all kinds of your kingdom work around the world. Use the very best. What I would love to be part of is a place where I could use the very, very best of my gifts and leverage those, but not have to do all the other things. 
that I'm not so great at because I'd love to be surrounded by other people who are saying, Man, what's the best part that you bring? What's the resource he's given you? What's the gift he's given you? And now you leverage that. What if we all brought the best of who we were to bear on endless possibilities that God could bring to us as a group? So you're going to just keep hearing this over and over and over. That's why we're here. We're on a mission. We want to invite you in the mission. I think the best way to get the hearts of people who live in Sisters, including those of you sitting here or Central Oregon, engaged and, 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 and lit up is not by doing something for them or doing something for you. It's by inviting them in to something bigger than all of us. That's what has the hope of drawing people in. And so uh, you're just going to keep hearing about this. Um, we're we're, we're going to be telling you more about the, the whole coffee thing. What, what we're asking from you who are part of this now, we're finding out who's part of this core. We're asking you and, and trying to be pretty upfront about it. We're asking you to support us in the interim. We, we're going to have a way bigger staff than we should have for, for a group this size. We don't need much. I mean, to, to, if we're just going to do this, this is awesome. We don't need much. But we're going to bring on a whole staff because we believe what God has is way bigger than this. And we're asking it. Will you support this? Will you support us in this time period? Because we're working hard to find other ways that God may want to pour into this. We're going to outside people. We're going to coffee. We're going, we're going to just keep inviting people in and see what God does. I'm telling you, at times it just feels crazy. Because the smartest thing would be to go incremental, to, 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 to map it out, to take our time. to do. We just feel like we can't, and it's because of parables like this. Let me, let me end by just reading you two quotes. We've got to have an Oswald Chambers quote in um, to keep everybody happy. A great deal more failure is the result of an excess of caution than of bold experimentation with new ideas. The frontiers of the kingdom of God were never advanced by men and women of caution. That's Oswald for the day. Is that it's not fear of failure. We can't let that, that stop us. We, we want God to do something. So our prayer, and I've quoted this before, David Brainerd was a missionary to the Indians. His prayer over and over was, God, let me make a difference for you that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. And that would be my prayer for me. It'd be my prayer for you. It'd be my prayer for us. God, let us make a difference for you that is utterly disproportionate. That's what's in this passage. Utterly disproportionate to who we are, to what we have. God, blow us away. Let's uh, pray together. Lord Jesus, I do pray that. God, I just I plead with you for that in my own life. God, I don't want to waste time, and I feel an urgency, but I've been stronger than I've ever felt before. God, to, to take whatever it is that you've given me and to, to leverage it, to, to leverage it for gain for kingdom gains, not because I'm trying to make you happy with me, not because I'm trying to get your acceptance, because you already do. God, I want to be so blown away by the grace that you've shown to me and the, the, the fact that you've given me your righteousness, you've made me perfect in the eyes of the Father, that I want to give my whole life back to you. So God, just keep dropping that into our hearts. And God, you know 
uh, where we're all at individually, you know where this is going collectively. Okay? We have no idea how you're going to form all this and bring this all together. We're trying to do things that are that are bigger than us. We our dreams. Uh, our eyes are bigger than our stomachs, God, and and yet I think that's what you want. And so, God, there's, there's huge questions of how is this all going to work, and 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 are, is this really? Are you going to provide for all this? Are we just crazy? Yeah, there's so much unknown, but I I just pray that we would not hold back. We would not. We would, we would be wise. We'd be wise stewards. We would be high risk, God, that you look at our hearts. Why are we doing what we're doing? And, and, and you want us to not hold back. So, God, lead us into to whatever that means, uh, I pray. Um, let's just stand, and we're going to sing. But uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a few songs. And between each of the songs, just would invite you again to pray. Part of this, when you talk about ten mina, if that's your desire, you desire to be a 10-man person or part of a 10-man church, man, that, that leads to a certain amount of begging and pleading with God. God, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to turn one into 10. God, do this for me. Do this for us. So we want to give you a chance uh, to pray uh, together during this time in between the songs. Uh, but these songs are all the truths about why. Why we believe this is what he's called us to is because of what he's done for us. So just soak in what he's done and then plead with him to, uh, uh, to show us what it looks like to live our lives this way.